You literally haven't said a word since we got here? Yeah. When I say I'm meditating, I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck is happening. I think we might be in an alien zoo or on a prank show. No, Jean, you were dead. Whoa, that's a dope prank. <sighs> Gotta give it up. Okay, I need to make sure that this isn't some sort of weird trap. Is your real name Jean Yu? No, it's Jason Mendoza. And by the way, everyone here thinks I'm Taiwanese. I'm Filipino. That's racist. Heaven is so racist. This is the bad place. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about Season 5, Episode 23. An Untold Story. The last episode of Chapter 8, The Not-So-Good Place, even though we've been out of hell for two episodes now. Yep, we're just setting up Season 6. The Untold Story season. So, as a reminder, last episode, Rumple used Hades' magical plot ex machina crystals to suck all of the magic out of Storybrooke, and he brought it into the real world so he could use it to wake Belle out of her self-induced sleeping curse, and also because he needed more power for some reason, I guess. He needed more power to do that. Meanwhile, half of the Storybrooke crew was lost in steampunk world and got captured by Mr. Hyde, who used Zelina's magic wand to summon the bell box to him so that he could get Rumpelstiltskin, a person who he somehow has a history with. Okay, so I feel like we didn't really talk about it at the time, but after Belle went into the sleeping curse and Rumpel decided to store her in a box, Belle has become a literal object in this show. You're right. Oh, God. It's very on the nose for what this show continually does to Belle. Ugh. So, Mr. Hyde has the wife box, and God. Henry has the anti-grail in New York. Yeah, when Henry was in New York, he managed to steal the anti-grail that will destroy all magic from the New York Public Library. Because, mm. why not? Let's, let's wrap this season up. See, this is why that woman shouldn't have left him and Violet alone in that room. Well, I guess that'll be the last time she trusts some preteen sleuths. So, the episode opens with Dr. Jekyll struggling in a straitjacket, where he sees Mr. Hyde very considerately left him a note explaining, you know, you almost got out, but I'm better at this than you, so meh, 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 meh. It reminds me of either the Keanu Reeves-Sandra Bullock movie, The Lake House, where they exist in the same lake house, but two years apart, so they can write letters to each other, but never connect. Which, by the way, the story makes more sense if they're like a hundred years apart. They're two years apart. They could find each other. Yeah, the one in the past, uh, the one in the future could just be like, hey, tell me. I, I guess it would be logistically awkward, but you could talk it out. You could it out or it also kind of reminds me of this movie i saw once called the night we never met about three people who were sharing an apartment in the city but not at the same time on different dates and so the girl falls in love with the guy who has it the day before her that would be a good when when, when did this movie come out because you could do a really good version of that with airbnb it was like in the 90s oh yeah so yeah they should remake it with an airbnb totally anyway the point is Hyde left a note for Jekyll that said, you know, 
You tried to escape, but failed. And Dr. Jekyll's like, yeah, but you left one guy guarding me and he fell asleep. So come on, dude. Seriously. Meanwhile, in the person cage in a different part of the asylum, Hook is trying to pick the lock of the person cage with his hook. Sure, why not? I mean, it is a magic hook, right? Yeah, I mean, it cut off that magic inhibiting binding or whatever, so. And it can, like, rip out hearts and stuff. So Zelina's being a giant asshole about this. She's like, oh, so that's your solution to all of your problems, huh? Just scratch it with your hook. And Hook's like, Cora made that same joke, like, three seasons ago. Shut up, at least I'm trying something. But it's okay. We don't need to rely on Hook, thank God, because Jekyll comes back. Although he does tell them that Hyde has taken off with the wand, so. Oops. Although clearly not that far. Well, they go out into the bazaar that is the rest of steampunk world. Like, the rest of steampunk world is just a big open-air market. Have you seen Stardust? It's like that market in Stardust. It is like that market in Stardust. Anyway, they're going to basically chase Hyde through this market, so so I guess that's the plan. Also, a bunch of people are wearing those big Mad Hatter-style hats, except with gears glued onto them so that you know we are in steampunk world. Uh, we also see three swordsmen raise their swords into the air and clink them together. Also, a bunch of people are wearing Renfair-style pirate outfits, so... Yeah. Jekyll explains that this is the land where people go when their stories don't really work out. He's like... He tells Hook it's the land of untold stories. But as we pointed out last week, these stories are all very, very told. Yeah. I feel like they could have phrased it better because this is, this is really playing a lot with the all of these people are aware that they're in a narrative thing. It's true, it is, in a way that the people in the Enchanted Forest were not. In the Enchanted Forest, they did not know that they were just a part of a fairy tale. Okay, so in the new uh, Shatterstar miniseries yes. that just started, uh, it opens with a status quo I wish we heard more about before they changed it, where he's running, uh, where Shatterstar's running a boarding house for uh, multi-dimensional refugees, people whose multiverses have been destroyed or they can't live there anymore for whatever reason. This is kind of like that. Okay, yeah. That could have made sense. I mean, I feel like they didn't really know what to call Steampunk World, so they went with the Land of Untold Stories. But it's it's really a... a it's, it's Victorian Horror Land. I, I was going to say it's a refugee camp. Back in New York, Henry and Violet have skedaddled from out of the New York Public Library. Violet doesn't understand why they're not waiting for Henry's moms, who you'll remember showed up at the end of last episode. So Henry fills her in that they're going to take the grail and they're going to destroy magic before his moms have a chance to catch up to them. Yes, uh, Violet wants to know why he ran away from his moms at the library and why he didn't tell them about the grail. Violet's like, how are we going to find your grandfather? And he's like, I don't know. Let's follow that giant black cloud of dark magic hanging over that one hotel building. Okay, then we cut to a very weirdly composed scene. Yeah, I, I think it's supposed to invoke The Shining, maybe? Or maybe Barton Fink? It does have a lot of hotel horror elements to it. We see a hotel waiter. What, what are they called? 
What are the guys, the guys in hotel who bring you room service? Are they just bellhops? Do the bellhops bring you food in a hotel? I feel like that falls under the umbrella of bellhopness, bellhophood. So this bellhop is bringing food down the hallway, and we see his face and kind of really tight, disorienting point of view shots through the hotel hallways, and we're hearing the music he's listening to in his headphones, which, which is Jesse's girl, my favorite song, and also thematic. Is it thematic? Yeah, because Rumple's girl got stolen. Rump Rumple wishes that he had Rumple's girl. <laughs> well, Mister Hyde wished that he had a uh, Rumple's girl. Why can't he have a woman like that? I guess it doesn't fit amazingly or anything. But... Well, it does have the line, and I'm looking in the mirror all the time, which is good for both the general theme of Once Upon a Time and also what happens next, which is the bellhop brings the food in, realizes that there is some occult shit going on in this room and that he might be sacrificed and has enough presence of mind to be concerned, but not enough to, you know, run. This scene is actually really creepy because they play it like Rumple is about to kill this dude. And, you know, we believe he would, because of course he would. The bellhop raises the dome on the plate to present the spaghetti, but it's a steak dinner by mistake. And Rumpel's like, oh, I don't give a fuck. I just wanted this silver tray. This is sterling silver, correct? And the bellhop's like, yeah. Also, if all that was important to you was the sterling silver tray, maybe you should have mentioned you wanted that when you called down for room service. Maybe he did. Oh, good point. Good point. So the bellhop almost gets out of the room when Rumpel calls him back in. And we think things are going to go bad for him, but no. He just gives him a $100 bill and tells him things might get messy in here. And he hangs up the do not disturb sign as he closes the door. That is a really funny touch. Also, you know, as scary as this scene is, a high-end hotel in New York City, that bellhop's seen worse. Oh, that yeah. bellhop has made a smaller tip for worse things. Regina and Emma realize they have no way to get in touch with the now-missing Henry since Regina accidentally torched his phone before she could give it back to him. Also, Emma gets a message from Granny that half of the Storybrooke crew has disappeared through the door. Well, through the portal. Oh, no, remember it was a door and then yeah. there was like a wave that came out of the door and like sucked them into the land of untold stories. And Regina's like, I don't have time for that. There's a magic storm going on over that hotel. I'm going to find Rumpel and punch him right in his goddamn face. And Emma's like, you, you know you don't have magic. And Regina's like, you don't need magic to punch someone right in their goddamn face. Also, Regina raises the point that if Henry succeeds in killing all magic, they're not getting their people back. Although I don't know why she's so concerned. What? What, what, what have you lost? Zelina. Selena, Hook, and the Charmings. Regina, take the win. <laughs> so somehow she immediately knows what room Gold's in. Right? That's weird. But you know what? It's okay. We need to move the plot forward. She shows up at Gold's door and tells him that she's bad now. Yeah, she knows what he's up to, and she's been drinking her evil juice and taking her evil vitamins, and she's ready to get back into the evil scene. And Rumpel's like, Mm, no. Rumpel's like, I'm the ultimate evil. I know what evil looks like. Evil does not look like you. Like, you're not even showing off any cleavage now. Come on. Your hair is cascading lightly to your shoulders, not pulled up in a ridiculous high pony. 
He also does a lot of the thing which they've been doing a lot over these past couple of episodes, which points to them for seeding this in, I guess. But he talks about how she's not the evil queen anymore. The evil queen is a separate person she's buried deep within her. Oh, yeah, y'all. They're doing a real Hulk thing with, with Regina, as we told you last week. Regina and the evil queen are two separate entities might be relevant later so she's like okay you got me selena got sucked through a portal and i need your help getting her out of the portal because i give a shit about what happens to selena now i guess yeah apparently that's a thing now so back in the land of untold stories they're at dr jekyll's old apartment where he's got a certain potion that separates the good from the evil in someone which, by the way, is what the potion in The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was intended to do. In the novel, novella, it's a novella, in the novella, it's supposed to split you into two components. The fact that he transitions between Jekyll and Hyde is because the formula goes wrong. So, you know, credit to the TV show for knowing that. Yeah, points to them. Zelina comments on how dusty it was and says that I guess there aren't many maids with untold stories. Oh. Which is a funny line, but... Blatantly untrue? Yeah, there's probably lots of maids with untold stories, Zelina. I mean, Cinderella. Well, I, I guess Cinderella is a popular story. Yeah, Cinderella is definitely a told story, but, you know. Jennifer Lopez could be in here. Made in Manhattan? Yeah. That's also a told story. You're not going to find an example, because any example you find, by definition, will be told. Well, yeah, but so is Jekyll and... I know! That's the problem with the name of this season. Honestly, I should let it go, because it's not a problem with the structure of the season. I like the structure of the season. It's only a problem with the name. It'd be kind of funny if uh, nobody had any idea about the Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, because in this universe, it was an untold story. I don't think anybody does reference knowing Jekyll and Hyde, so... Huh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, now we have to go through the entire five seasons that led up to this to see if anyone made any offhand mention of Jekyll or Hyde. Or the Three Musketeers, or the Count of Monte Cristo. Mm. Mm. So Jekyll has a flower that he took from the garden. The flowers he was growing in the asylum garden are actually the final ingredient he needed to make this potion for real. So he grinds it up into the potion, the potion changes color, which is on TV, how you know things are working. But then Poole shows up, the... The asylum bodyguard. And he grabs Jekyll and forces the Jekyll and Hyde potion of bad CGI down his throat. It's kind of funny because Jekyll's like, but you were asleep. And he's like, yeah, I faked it because I wanted to know where you lived. Oh, we don't have to go through five seasons of Once Upon a Time. As he begins to transform before their eyes, Snow White says, I guess we know what story he's from. Ugh. Shut up, Snow. But also, thank you for yes. making it so we don't have to go back and check all five seasons to see if they've mentioned Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Also, you knew his name was Jekyll. You knew his name was Jekyll before. How does this now, now, oh, oh, the guy named Jekyll is Jekyll from Jekyll and Hyde as opposed to all of those other Jekylls? That's such a weird thing from Once Upon a Time, isn't it? Where people know each other's stories, but only enough to make snide comments, not enough to actually be useful. Much like Rumpel's scene into the future power. So 
Jekyll becomes Hyde, and I found this out. I ended up Googling the guy after uh, we recorded the last episode, and the guy who plays Mr. Hyde in this show. Yes. He was the vampire in the American version of being human, which is kind of funny because... Uh, well, we talked about how vampiric he looked last week. Oh, uh, you did. You pointed that out. Yeah. It was a good call on your part. And also because we had someone who was a werewolf on the British version of being human. Merlin? Was Merlin a werewolf on the British version of being human? Uh, no, no, oh. unfortunately. It was Will Scarlet. Oh, it was Will Scarlet. I don't think he was, I think he was like the replacement werewolf because it's being human. So the apparently the UK version of being human murdered the entire cast like multiple times and replaced them with different people. That is what they do in the UK. I remembered that someone else on this show was in being human because last week I was chatting with a mutual friend of ours and he was telling me that, and, and he told me that, well, I remember now that it was Will Scarlet. He told me Will Scarlet was on being human and that... He was the reason that this person watched Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. He's a very charming person. He also mentioned the TV show Emerald City. Do you remember that from a couple years? It was canceled very quickly. I do remember that. It looked expensive as all get out. It looked expensive and it looked bad. Mm. But the way he was telling me about it made me really want to watch it. So I think we might need to do a spinoff Emerald City podcast. Oh no! Just but... a warning. Oh no! But if we do that, then we're also gonna have to do Tin Man. In Emerald City, Dorothy is a cop, much like the Tin Man, and Tin Man is a cop. Oh. Yeah. Because uh, uh. Tin Man, like the yeah. yeah. I've actually seen the tin... I've actually seen Tin Man. Is it good? No. Mm. Credit where credit is due to Once Upon a Time for having a canonically queer Dorothy. Because there is a not small amount of subtext in the original books, especially in her relationship with Ozma. Sure, sure. Does, do you think that comes up in other adaptations? It seems like it doesn't really. Are you are you asking me a leading question on purpose? Uh, I wasn't, but... Uh, a, a fan of this show let me know that there is a queer Dorothy in Supernatural. Oh, right. She ends up sleeping with um, that, Felicia Day. Yeah, Felicia Day's character. Although I hear they both end up getting murdered later because it's supernatural and it's women. But I don't know if that's true. Uh, also, we should be careful about adding ourselves as people who haven't watched Supernatural. Eh, we've mentioned it a few times on the podcast. So Emma uses her bounty hunter skills to break into Mr. Gold's room with her magic skeleton key. He's aware of this because it's really obvious when you're going into a hotel room. But he pretends not to be. He pretends to still be talking things out with Regina, who, again, is pretending to want to be on Gold's side. And as so <laughs> He's such a dick, because he waits until Emma has it, the Olympian crystal, in her hand to bamf it into his hand. And then he's like, come on out, Miss Swan. And Regina's like, you knew, and he's like, well, duh. It turns out that the reason he let them in at all was so that he could take a hair from Regina so that he could use that to locate Zelina. Because, you know, they're sisters. Yeah. Then he summons a fireball and is ready to kill them both. Which I know he's like the big evil, but I feel like that crosses a line for him to just outright 
threatened to murder Regina and Emma. Not just threaten, attempt to murder them. For basically no reason? He already has what he wants. And honestly, that's a thing about Rumple. Once he has what he wants, he doesn't care about killing you anymore, usually. Unless you have some sort of personal grudge, which he has with neither of these women. And then Henry shows up and sucks all the magic out of the world. Yeah, he go- he barges into the room. He sees uh, Rumple about to fireball his mom's. He's- First he sucks the fireball out of Rumple's hand into the anti... Uh, the infernal grail. Into the infernal grail. And then he sucks all of the magic out of the crystal into the infernal grail. I really don't get why he didn't just do that back in the library. It took like five seconds. They had just broken a display case in the New York Public Library. Also, you know what, Rumpel? If you didn't want all of the magic to be stolen out of the world, maybe you shouldn't have condensed it all into one crystal. Just saying. Now, our Henry hate, you know, that we have let go of, that we have rejected. Yeah, he became the best character in the show. and We have turned away from our Henry hate. But I, when we first watched this episode, we were like, God damn it, Henry. Okay, it's really weird because now we're watching this show when, like, this. these are episodes we watched while we were recording the podcast. So there's sort of an odd overlap here. It's true. It's true. So we were, we were high on our season one Henry haterade while watching this episode. Oh, do you think that's what happened? I think there might have been a little bit of a feedback loop there. Interesting, interesting. Because at the time when we first watched this, when it first aired, we were so angry at Henry for screwing everything up by sucking all the magic into the Infernal Grail, but he was saving his mom's life. They legit would have died if he hadn't just done that. Yeah. Also, how did Henry know which hotel room they were in? And how did he get into the hotel room? It's not like Emma left the door open. I think Emma did leave the door open. I think we Uh... see that. But it's a hotel room door, so how is she able to leave it open? So many questions this show just doesn't care about answering. So back in the land of untold stories... Hyde is preparing an injection with the new formula that is correct and will split evil and good apart. So he can just barf out Jekyll and then he won't have Jekyll's Dr. Hopper-esque ass stopping him from murdering all the people he wants. Oh, this is what Glory should have done. This is like... This this is this is Ben and Glory all over again, except shorter. Ben and Glory. Ben is Glory. Ben is Glory. Hyde injects the formula of even worse CGI and causes Jekyll to be ejected. And it's it's kind of funny because Jekyll chest bursts his way out of Hyde. It's just like that scene in Alien, and then he falls on the floor, and Hyde's like, "Nice to finally meet you," and. And Jekyll's like, why is evil me sexy? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like adaptations always try to make Hyde sexy. And in the book, he is explicitly not sexy. Well, in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he's basically an ogre. Which is, in the well, in the books, he's more like a troll. He's tiny. And League of Extraordinary Gentlemen addresses that. It says, you know, there's a time when he was smaller than I am. Because, you know... Feeding the evil makes it bigger. Yeah. Also, they needed a Hulk. Exactly. You know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the comic, is legit pretty good. Hmm. LXG is a terrible movie and misspells Quatermain's name on his gravestone. Oof. So anyway. 
You know, it's a shame. The LXG movie was uncomfortable not having an American be the hero at the center. So they made Tom Sawyer detective be the main character. And watch me bring this around. Okay. Tom Sawyer detective is a book that Mark Twain was intending to write but never did. Oh. Tom Sawyer as an adult, as a detective, was you know, on his list of unwritten stories. And so that could have actually been a good thing to bring in if you were convinced you needed an American character. Everything else is terrible, though. The fact that they made Mina a vampire, when the whole Uh... thing is she's, the whole thing in the books is that, like, she's a human woman, but she can keep all of these people in line, more or less. Well, she's a human woman who survived a vampire. If you make her a vampire, she didn't. Yeah. Again, missing the point. Welcome to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen podcast. Be prepared. This is probably not going to be the first time we reference League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in the upcoming season. Mm. Or Van Helsing, for that matter. Oh, Van Helsing. Which, why does that movie start off with him hunting Jekyll in Paris? And it's like the exact same Jekyll from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Were they trying to set up a shared universe thing or what? Yes. Yes, they were. Why? I thought League of Extraordinary Gentlemen bombed, or do you think they filmed that stuff before it bombed? Or The idea of a shared universe is awesome. I don't know why nobody can pull it off. I, I don't know why all of these movies are so bad, when the idea of a shared universe with all of these monsters is such a good idea. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not a good idea. Maybe that's why nobody can make it work. So Hyde and Jekyll are, are fighting. More specifically, Hyde is choking Jekyll the hell out. And then Hook jumps in and uses his magical hook to hook Hyde. And then everyone else runs into the room and Zelina light blasts the asylum guard. It's like a fireball, but it's green and he still has a face after he gets hit with it. So I don't know if the death clock went off here or not. Now, I want to say, number one, we did not mention last episode that Poole is played by a black gentleman. Mm -hmm. So death clock, of course. Um, I just said light blast, and then I was going to correct myself because I didn't mean light blast like we usually mean to mean a good character using a blast of light as an offensive weapon. I just meant it's a piece of green light that Zelina is using as an offensive weapon. But now I think, wait, is this intending to tell us that she's good now? Is this her good fireball? I don't know. We saw Regina using those, like, purple stun balls back in the Neverland season because you can't just have a character going around setting children on fire. Okay, so I think this is meant to show that she's good now. So I'm going to go ahead and say Poole is still alive. Yeah, it's it's her version of Regina's stun balls from season three. I mean, yes, season three. So Mary Margaret picks up the taser that, tr- uh, the taser that Poole uh, dropped and mystically... Or, I guess, regular tases, Hyde. It, it's real bad CGI. But. I mean, it, it's 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 just a cattle prod, but it's a cattle prod that shoots purple lightning. So, you know, it's basically a magic wand. Yeah. And all the good guys make their escape. And, of course, I'm using good guy loosely because this crew includes Zelina and the Charmings. And Hook. Uh... So, in the hotel room, Rumpel's like, Henry, what the shit did you do? And Henry's like, I stopped you from killing my moms. And... Henry's like, you're just upset that I destroyed magic. And Rumpel's like, well, you're going to be upset too when I tell you that half of your family is trapped in another realm. And Henry's like, not really. It's the half of my family that sucks. (laughs) 
No, he doesn't say that. I wish he had said that. I wish he had said that and we had just gone on and this had become like a domestic drama that had no magic in it at all. Okay, that would be pretty hilarious. We just forgot all about, or maybe like once a season we'd have an episode that caught us up on what David and Mary Margaret were doing in steampunk land. But anyway, Henry and Violet run out of the room, super upset, and Emma's like, so is everyone in Storybrooke dead now? And and Rumpel says, don't worry about it. Storybrooke existed without magic for 28 years. It'll be fine for a couple of days. Although it wasn't existing without magic. It was existing with the kind of low-level magic that... Ugh, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, you. there was a thing you used to say a lot in earlier seasons of the show where this isn't the land of without magic. This is the land of, of de minimis magic. Right. And that's going to come very much into play in this episode in kind of an unfortunate way. So Emma tracks down Henry, who's sitting by a fountain he used to go to uh, when he was upset. Because remember, they have two sets of memories now. He has memories of being raised in New York. And apparently this is where he used to go when he was upset when they were living in New York. Yeah, they would go to the fountain and they would make wishes. So really, all of them have two separate personas trapped inside them. You think if Henry got split, we'd have super competent, cool, post-New York Henry in one body and really annoying seasons one through three Henry in a different body? Well, that's what she said last week, right? They would use it on him and it would be child Henry <laughs> and adult Henry because he used to be a child. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It's funny, Henry wants what I want. He wants this to be a domestic show with no drama. He talks about how happy he was when he was just living with his mom in New York, and now they can go back to that. Or at least that was his plan before he realized that he totally screwed over his grandparents. <sighs> Whatever. But Emma's like, yeah, no, I get it. I, I miss when we used to just be people too, but we're part of something big and, and stupid, and if we're not a part of it, it's going to walk right off a cliff, so. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of that really, really unfortunate de minimis magic, Rumpel explains to Regina that this is not actually the world without magic. It's just the world that doesn't have a lot of magic. And he's going to take her to one of the places that does have magic. So Rumpel takes Regina to Chinatown. Yes, he he's doing a Sorkin-esque walk and talk while explaining the nature of darkness. And he has timed this little speech to end right as he reaches a store in Chinatown. This plays on a lot of unfortunate tropes from late 80s kids movies where if you're not white, specifically if you are Asian, then you have a sort of, I think the term is Eastern mysticism. Yes, yes. And, you know... It's not like this character, the dragon, by the way, who did show up in season two and get killed, but it's okay, he got better. But my point is, the dragon doesn't exist to have his own storyline. He just exists to aid the other character's storyline when they need a jolt of exotic magic. It's not the greatest. Yeah, we're, we're not in, like, it's not, like, aggressively racist. It's, it's... Racist. It's racist. It's it's playing enough on unfortunate, outdated tropes to be uncomfortable without being outright racist. Although maybe it, it sort of... I mean, he uses a so, lotus pool to summon magic, so... Yeah, he drops a lotus 
Blossom into a pool so that he can scry. That's how he scries. And they manage to see where the other half of the storybook crew is. And he tries to use his power to open up this scrying pool enough that they can pull everyone out. But he doesn't quite have enough power. So the dragon doesn't have enough mystical power to open the portal, but someone does. Henry? And Henry's like, me? And they're like, yeah, remember? You have godlike powers. And he's like, oh, I am the author. And they're like, no, you had godlike powers before that. You have the heart of the truest believer. And the dragon says, remember, there's magic everywhere. You just need to believe. And Emma's like, that sounds like something a friend told me once. And the dragon's like, are you talking about August? How is August your friend? August abandoned you as a baby, Emma. But the word belief triggers something in Emma. Emma and Henry have the house-style realization where someone says one word and it makes you run off to do a thing, which in this case is Henry running off to the fountain to make a wish and realizing that all he has to do is believe in magic and magic will come back because that's his fucking superpower, man. And it is a way better superpower than sometimes knowing when people are lying to you. Okay, I kind of love this scene. It's equal parts amazing and awful. Rumpel tells Henry, he's like, no offense, but that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And Henry's like, no offense, but I'm basically omnipotent and I think it's going to work. So it's probably going to work. Also, no offense, but I sucked all your magic out. So what's your plan, old man? Okay, I. it's probably not a good thing to make guesses about what actors are thinking in this when they have to say certain lines but henry throws a coin in the fountain and the crystal flares up a little bit because he believes so he's handing out coins and he's like everyone needs to do it so everyone in the group's doing it the crystal flares up a little more it's still not enough this launches him into a speech and i don't know if i'm projecting a little bit here but Jared Gilmore sounds so fucking pissed that he has to say these lines during this speech. I It's kind of cringeworthy, and let me tell you why it's cringeworthy. It seems like the kind of improv everywhere bullshit that I did as a teenager. So now I just have all of this teenage embarrassment washing over me. Uh, but you know what? First we need to cut back to steampunk world. Let's talk about the embarrassment in a minute. Someone in the storybook crew points out that that Jekyll's evil side looks nothing like him and is and has the strength of ten men, and Jekyll's like, everyone sees their evil self differently, although when we see other people using this, it's going to look just like them. We're not shelling out for extra actors for this. So Hyde is doing the horror movie thing where he's just sort of slow walking after them and easily catching them. Yeah, they're running. they're running through the streets of the outdoor market that is steampunk town and Hyde is finding them and cornering them and it's pretty clear that even though there's a lot more of them than him Hyde is about to fucking kill them like he's Jason or something Selena you have your magic back now all right let's leave them be and talk about this super embarrassing scene Henry climbs on top of the lions that are outside the New York Public Library so where were you guys last episode right And he tells everyone that his family is in danger and they can save his family if they just believe in magic. 
And they all just need to clap their hands if they believe. No, actually, he needs everyone to make a wish in the fountain. Okay, so I have an MVP extra, which is a juggler with a green mohawk who's wearing a vest over a short sleeve shirt over a long sleeve shirt who has no time for this magic friendship bullshit speech. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. God, he's like old school punk with that green mohawk. It, it's like he's the sort of person Spock would knock out on a bus. That's exactly what I was thinking. And just so that our listeners are clear, you weren't using juggler as some sort of euphemism for something else. He's got bright orange bowling pins that he's juggling. So basically this guy is the best person in this episode. No doubt, no doubt. Because he get, he's giving Henry a serious side eye as he talks about how his family is in danger, but magic can save them, and he needs all of the people in this crowd to believe in magic. All you need to do is believe in magic and throw a coin into a fountain, and then his family will be saved. And... So this is the one time we see him using his heart of the truest believer power. There's no way this crowd is this engaged and ends up believing him without him using some sort of outside mystical influence. Okay, can I talk about that? Yeah. So I mentioned the cringiness of high school improv everywhere. But it actually is kind of awesome when you are involved in or especially when you wander upon like a happening and you take part in it you just have this moment where it's where it just feels like the world is a little better like a whole group of people all came together to make the world a little weirder all of these strangers just all worked together without planning it or realizing it just to you know be part of something that served no purpose and was just just existed for the purpose of existing. And the reason I bring that up, and it makes me sound kind of cheesy, I know, but the reason I bring that up is when the magic works and his family appears, everyone, by the way, the magic works, his family appears, they got saved from Hyde, yay. Yeah, there's a geyser portal that opens. Everyone claps and applauds and then wanders off, and Henry realizes, oh, they think this was some sort of performance art or viral promotional thing and so they didn't actually believe in magic and now I'm sad but Henry they all thought that you orchestrated something really cool they all feel a little happier in their lives for having witnessed something pretty cool they're all walking around with their day just a little bit better for having been there like take the win Henry yeah okay so the thing I said before still applies It sort of sounds like Jared Gilmore's angry that they're making him do this very corny but very earnest speech about believing in magic. Well, I believe this scene is actually shot on location in New York City, unlike most things in this show. So maybe it's, like, cold and miserable and they've been shooting outside on location all day. Yeah. But the speech does kind of... It talks to something which is sort of a universal experience. It talks to being really enthusiastic about something like embarrassingly enthusiastic about something and how the sort of the we don't know anything about that well it's sort of a thing that comes in later in life the you being ashamed of how much you like something stupid 
And even now, like, having to give it the qualifier of something stupid. And there's something very... There's something very sweet about... Pure? Pure. There's something very pure about that just raw enthusiasm. Yeah. In general. It is good to learn moderation, but there is something very sweet about him touching this part, like him reaching out to this crowd and getting them to acknowledge that there was once a part of them that could get this pure, raw enthusiasm, that they could believe in something without having this sort of tinge of embarrassment attached to it. Yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah, the the... Everyone believes, everyone throws in the coins, the coins fall through to the land of untold stories. It's actually kind of cool the way it happens. The way that our half of the Storybrooke crew is cornered, and then they start to see the coins falling, and they realize, Hook realizes that they are modern American coins, and kind of realizes what that must mean. And then the portal opens up and takes them to New York. Everyone escapes except for Hyde, who is left behind and is furious he's throwing a giant baby temper tantrum but someone used the portal the other way oh no it looks like rumple jumped through the portal when everyone else came out and rumple's like so you might remember a couple episodes ago how i talked to hades about how i'm the real ongoing big bad in this series and if you want to get anything done you kind of have to come to an arrangement with me now, he was a giant dumbass, got stabbed by a crystal, turned into dust. What do you think you're going to do here? And Hyde's like, well, you know, I have leverage over you. And Rumpel's like, not really. Like, you're as strong as ten dudes. I have the power of every single dark one. Right. Hyde thinks that he has leverage because he has the bell box. And Rumpel's like, what if I just killed you and took the box? And then Hyde's like, wait. I know how to wake Belle up. And that is interesting. That is interesting. So Hyde makes a deal that he's going to provide Rumpel with knowledge on how to break the sleeping curse without having to give up any of his power by, you know, wah, 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 true love's kiss. And Rumpel's like, "Mm, I'm not sure I super believe you. And he's like, look, I've been basically running the land of untold stories, but not in a dumbass Hades way. In a behind-the-scenes, I-just-do-what-I-want way, I get a lot of information, and I can help you out here. But we have to make a deal. Which is good, because Rumpel loves deals. When this scene ends, it freezes and becomes one of those terrible photoshopped pictures, and we cut to Jekyll reading that story. We haven't done that since, like, season one. I know, right? But when we did it in season one, it implied that the person reading the story was reading the thing we had just watched. But clearly Jekyll is not reading the thing we just watched, or he would have maybe said something to the others. Maybe Je- uh, maybe Hyde only has one or two ways he just likes to freeze. That must be it. I love how Regina immediately ditched the Storybrooke crew so that they could all have a catch-up. And they could all gossip about her. Yeah, because Mary Margaret's like, where's Regina? And, and Zelina's like, she said she needed some alone time for some reason. And Mary Margaret's like, oh, oh no, that's not going to happen. No, to be fair to Mary Margaret, first of all, she brings up hot chocolate with cinnamon. What is with all the season one callbacks? There are a lot of season one callbacks, but Snow White has learned that the only way Regina's going to drink hot chocolate with cinnamon is if it's hot chocolate with cinnamon with whiskey. 
and she pours some liquor into it and gives it to Regina. So Mary Margaret has a very, very stupid idea, which is too bad because honestly, I feel like this is the most I've liked Mary Margaret in a really long time. Really? Yeah. Because Regina's talking, you know, Regina tells her about her conversation with Gold when they were walking to Chinatown about how she feels like the reason that she can never truly be happy, that the reason she can never truly become a real hero is because once she brought the darkness in her, it's not leaving. It's stuck in her forever. I just had a revelation. Mm-hmm. So... We talked a lot about how weird it is that they're talking about her evil like it's a separate thing. And I was going to make a joke that somebody needs to introduce Regina to the concept of restorative justice so that she can feel better about all the shit she did. And then I realized that's what's wrong with this show. Restorative justice focuses on the person you have wronged. And this show, when it talks about evil, focuses on some ineffable the darkness has darkened me quality of the person who performs the evil and not the effect you have had on the people you have hurt. Hmm. Well, most of the people Regina has hurt, you know. Are dead? Yeah. I know. You know when it would have been a good time for restorative justice? Uh, when they were in hell? When, when they were in hell. So Mary Market's like, well, you say you've got this, like, evilness trapped inside you. But look what I've got from the Land of Untold Stories. Oh, look, it's an extra vial of that separating out the evil serum. Okay, so this isn't what happens, but I do remember when we first watched this, my idea for what would be amazing would be if she injected herself with the serum and then the evil queen came out. But then, you know, she realized that that's not how good and evil works. So she went about her life and she was like, you know what? I feel like I'm still evil. And then she used the serum again. And then another evil Regina came out. And then it was just evil Regina's all the way down. That's not what happened. That would be amazing, though. So what they're going to do is they're going to inject Regina with the serum. She's going to barf out the evil queen. And then she's going to murder her. Yeah. Murder's okay now. Murder's okay if you're murdering evil people. I think murder's okay if you're murdering a piece of yourself, which is not a good message. So the evil queen does the alien chest burster thing outside of Regina. There's a lot of weird cutting here. It's basically just Lana Priya shaking and, like, moving her hands all curled up. I feel like she thought maybe if she acted hard enough, they would not make her do the terrible CGI effect. And, you know, she came close. But the evil queen pops out and she's like, oh my god, look what you're wearing. And then, okay, so Emma magically puts chains on her because... Hey, it's the spell we saw her use against uh, the Snow Queen in the Frozen season. Yes, yes it is. Good, good call, good continuity, but... I mean, come on, guys. This is a pretty heavy, this is a pretty continuity-heavy episode. It really is. This is really an episode that's rewarding longtime viewers. So, basically, though, everyone's standing back and making Regina fight this fight. You know, because if Regina doesn't kill the evil queen, then I guess they're just gonna let the evil queen run around loose in New York City. Mm. So, the evil queen's like, No matter what you do, you can't destroy our darkness. It's too thick and creamy and chocolatey. And Regina's like, "Mm, 
like, you're seriously underestimating the amount of self-loathing I have. Oh, it's true, isn't it? This is the perfect thing for her, because it allows her to project her self-loathing onto someone she can physically harm. So her self-loathing overcomes her goodness, her not wanting to murderness, and she rips out the heart of the evil queen, which is like... Mostly, but not entirely black. Yes. And crushes it, and the evil queen turns to dust and floats away like some sort of buffy vampire. Okay, so we were smack-talking the uh, evil splitting effect, because let's be clear, the evil splitting effect was hardcore terrible. It's really bad. But the turning to dust uh, effect was weirdly beautiful. Like, it was, I thought it was really well done, especially for a TV show. Oh, you know what? It is well done, the way that the dust just kind of slowly overtakes her and then she blows away. But I was too distracted by the fact that no one else has died that way when their heart got crushed. Yeah, everyone else just leaves a body. Hmm. 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 Remember who else died without leaving a body? Yeah. 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 You you gotta find a body. Uh, Like Robin said, not Robin Hood, Robin, Batman's apprentice. They're not dead unless you see the body, and even then it's not 100%. Accurate. So everyone gets back to Storybrooke. Which I guess just has magic now. Yeah. Yep. Wait, isn't the source of magic that well? Wouldn't that have factored into Rumple sucking all the magic? No, the magic got sucked out of the well into the crystal. So Henry has kind of an awkward goodbye with Violet where he's like, so we're a couple now, right? And she's like, I mean, I guess, probably. And then Henry's like, hey, I'm sorry that because we went on an adventure... You and your family didn't get to go through the portal to go home to Camelot. And then Violet's like, oh, MBD, my dad's a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Yeah, and he was never happy in Camelot. So honestly, this worked out pretty well for him. I guess I'm going to go live in Connecticut now. Now, you thought it was really cringy and awkward the way she literally drops the phrase, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Yeah, because she says, my father would always say, it's no great shakes. Being a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. And it's true. That's a super awkward line. But I really appreciate the fact that that character's name is the same as the name from the Mark Twain story. Meaning that this was set up. This was always the plan two seasons ago. I'm just... I like it when Once Upon a Time knows what they're doing. So... It turns out that Henry's secret fetish is incredibly awkward, incredibly awkward exposition because he kisses Violet and Violet's like, hmm, that was nice. Bye. Meanwhile, okay, I'm sorry, but maybe not the best time to have your first kiss in front of both of your moms. And Emma's like giving him the thumbs up and grinning and Regina's like, I really don't want to be here for this. Actually, Regina says it looks like Operation Mixtape was a success. She does say that, but she does not look as happy as Emma does to watch their son make out with some girl. You know, their family dynamics are weird anyway. Also, Regina has to go on and figure out what to do about the crystal, so... Yeah, so... The crystal, which is now the source of the magic in Storybrooke, not the well. Yeah. So Emma wanders off with Hook, and she's like, you know, there's always something going on in Storybrooke, but right now it's a quiet moment. It's nice to have a quiet moment, isn't it? 
isn't there, don't you wish there was something we could do to celebrate this quiet moment, she said, while standing in front of her bridal shop? Yes, I did not notice when I watched this episode on my own, but yes, as you point out, they are standing in front of a shop window with a prominently displayed wedding dress. As Emma and Hook discuss, well, looks like the future's ours now. What should we do next? But then they make out. Yeah. So... Regina and Henry have made it to basically the center of Storybrooke, and then Regina uses magic to, like, sink the crystal deep, deep into the street. We see the magic spread out through the rest of Storybrooke, and presumably nobody can dig it up and, you know... I think it got absorbed into the heart of Storybrooke or whatever, and... You know what? When I was watching this the first time, I was thinking it was going down into the street where it couldn't be dug up, and I thought, well, someone's going to dig that up. They're just going to, like, take a jackhammer. But now that I'm watching it this time, no, I think you're right. I think it was redispersed. Okay, okay. So Hyde walks up to them, and he's like, hey, thanks. I would have hated to be trapped in this shithole without magic. And Regina's like, okay, dude, calm down. He says, I'm as strong as ten men. And Regina says, I am no man. Basically, Hyde straight up ignores Regina to talk to Henry. Because he's like, so... He's like one of those assholes at the hardware store who always talks to the male in the group, even when I'm the one who knows what's going on. So he's like, I didn't come alone. I brought a bunch of, friend- I brought a bunch of friends with me, and we're going to make Storybrooke ours. And Regina's like... Okay, look, dude, I've read your story, I know how it ends, you lose. And, well, clearly this is a different story, Regina. Also, maybe don't bring that up, since your whole thing for, like, the last three years has been trying to undo the way stories end. And Hyde also ominously tells her that it's not so easy to just destroy darkness, so maybe we're not done with the evil queen. I kind of love, he has this, like aggressively smarmy expression on his face after he says that he's like darkness isn't as easy to snuff out as you might think and then he raises his eyebrows and closed mouth smiles at her and it's kind of a goofy way to leave off the scene it is but then we cut from that to a dust cloud flying through chinatown and the dragon alone in the back of his shop when the dust cloud enters and turns into regina and i'm sorry the evil queen Yes, the dragon is alone in his store when the dust cloud forms into the evil queen behind him. And he, to be, uh, I mean, let's be clear here, he takes this situation like a champ. He's like, huh, didn't expect to see that. Not surprised, just, you know, didn't think I would see that. Yep. And the evil queen's like, yeah, Regina made a giant mistake. Because she let me out, and now I don't have to deal with her whiny ass holding me back. Okay, this implies that there's something evil about Regina, and that this evilness is some inherent thing and not the result of the pain she endured. I mean, whatever, she rips out the dragon's heart and now she controls the dragon. And we get one of those classic Lana Perea super evil, you know... The, the thing where she grins and her eyebrows kind of have the sympathetic fold out, like... Okay, see, this is why I trailed off before. Because the show is so much more complex than I am cartoonishly evil. But goddamn, I love to watch Lana Perea be cartoonishly evil! Yeah, and now she gets to... 
she gets to eat as much scenery as she wants and just the way she looks at the heart it's like it, it's like how you would look at a baby if you were the sort of person who ate babies and you hadn't eaten a baby in a really long time what a weird thing for you to say i couldn't think of a good analogy because it's a very evil expression but nothing about it is inherently evil i i I don't know. It, it's amazing. I'm so happy we get to see her being the evil queen. It is an exciting and thrilling way to leave off. It is what this show does. Create this amazing last moment at the end of the season so that you are dying to watch it again all summer, regardless of how terrible the preceding season was. So we will see you all next season, by which I mean next week, which is the joy of binge watching a thing once it's complete. Okay, I just, I love that they ep- they ended uh, this season by setting up the two new big bads by having both of them making incredibly goofy faces into the camera. That is what they did. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I do too, of course. I mean, it feels like it's leaning into camp a lot more, which is when... Sp- which is one of the good things about Once Upon a Time, how well it can do high camp. Well, as we have said before, the only reason this show worked at all is because it had Lana Perea reading out the dialogue, and now it's promising to give us two Lana Pereas, so yay? Yay! Our show is partially listener-supported. If you would like to become one of those supporters, you can go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We would like to thank our current $5 and above patrons. Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. We can also be contacted at ilovetvzines on Twitter or ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. Yeah.